You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is the Hot Stove Report. Going, going, goodbye baseball. On 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle app. Oh, welcome once again inside the hot stove. And boy, we never needed a hot stove like we do these days here in Seattle. Happy to have you with us as always. Aaron Goldsmith, Gary Hill, Declan Jasper Wilder running things for us here in the studio tonight. Uh, Shannon is, as you know, uh, always with us. But Gary, uh, Shannon is shooting road flares off in Issaquah and uh, eating stale white bread at this point. I That's, think. Right. That's right. That's right. I just got a text there. from her. She's fine. Okay. Yeah. She just snowed in like... A lot of people out She's out just there. going to be eating like a minor league broadcaster for a couple of days That's right. if she doesn't have any extra food in the yeah, house. Yeah, I told her to contact us if she needs help, and I'm s- <laughs> I don't know what I can do about it. But. <laughs> well, uh, we've got a, a nice hot stove show lined up for you tonight. We will uh, be hearing from a couple of guys who are right now making their way through lovely Portland. They're on the Mariners Care Community Tour. Shed Long will be joining us here in the first hour. Also, Mariners reliever Brandon Brennan. We're going to start tonight with our American League West preview for 2020. One of our favorite guys in the game, and especially in the division, Evan Grant, who covers the Texas Rangers for the Dallas Morning News, will join us on the phone from the great state of Texas in the second hour of the program. We'll be talking with uh, somebody. That, Gary, this is kind of becoming an, an annual tradition for us to have Jesse Smith on the show. Jesse, as uh, I'm sure many folks know by now, the Mariners Director of Analytics, which is a pretty awesome job. And uh, Jesse is always kind enough to give us some time every year and, and during the season also and to kind of take us behind the curtain on some things. So always looking forward to talking some some uh, nerdy things with Jesse Smith. He was going to be here, too. He was snowed in. You're right, yes. But he will be on the show via phone. And that conversation is always fantastic. Uh, getting his insights really gives us uh, a look at kind of the inner workings of all kinds of different facets, whether it's the draft, you know, how they look at free agents. If you go down the list, I always learn something every time I talk to Jesse Smith. He's great. He's fantastic. The uh, news of uh, the week, I suppose, around baseball, Gary, of course, is what has happened to the Houston Astros. And for those who maybe haven't heard or maybe have only heard bits and pieces, their skipper, A.J. Hinch, their general manager, Jeff Luno, both suspended a year by Rob Manfred, uh, the commissioner of baseball, for – their unwillingness to do anything to stop or hinder the scandal of them stealing signs using a center field camera and then, of course, relaying the signs to the hitters uh, most of the time in the uh, caveman fashion of banging on a trash can, which apparently was uh, effective enough. So they were both suspended for a year, and then they were immediately fired by the owner of the Astros, Jim Crane. The Astros have been saddled with a $5 million fine, which – per the Constitution of Baseball, is the maximum fine that a team can be levied. So $5 million out of Jim Crane's pockets. And then add on to that, they have, this is really big, they have to forfeit their first and second round picks, both in 2020 and in 2021, on so many levels, Gary. Uh, this is a colossal news, not just for the world of baseball, but for sports. We don't see this type of punishment and this type of a scandal uh, revealed like it was by the athletic uh, all too often. This is huge news in the division and in it, baseball. It's huge news, and the story's still developing. Right, we've seen the tentacles of the story reach to the Red Sox already today. I mean, Cora's been let go 
by the Red Sox. His future, I mean, he's still going to get a ban, I assume. We'll see how long, but he, he's been relieved. So we'll see how far this story reaches and who else it reaches to. But this is massive news for baseball and obviously for the Mariners in the same division with the Houston Astros, who they've built a power. I mean, you look at what they've done down through the years, and it's hard to believe if you would have said after they raised the trophy in 2017 that their general manager and manager would be gone just two years later. It is a startling development. But it's one where they really only have themselves to blame. When you look at the backdrop, is the Red Sox got nailed for this a couple of years ago. It was common knowledge. Everyone knew. They were warned. All 30 teams were warned. All 30 teams were warned, and yet the Astros, it's what they did. I mean, it was player-driven, but as you said, the manager and general manager let it happen, or it happened under their watch, however you want to say it. And Cora, of course, the now former skipper of the Red Sox, Alex Cora, is the one who comes off looking the worst out of everyone. No players were disciplined. I think that's important to get out there. And Commissioner Manfred, I think – I'm sure you're like me and a lot of people who are thinking, well, the, the players are the one who did it. Right. How are they getting away scot-free? And as Commissioner Manfred said, there's just it is gets really muddy really quickly when you try to discipline the players for a whole host of reasons. For one, a lot of those players are someplace else, and yeah. it's unclear to the degree that every player used the trash can. And then if you only ding the players, you're not hurting the team right. that – allowed this to happen. And the way I look at a scenario like this, if you're trying to cut a behavior from happening again, mm-hmm. go after the people at the top sure. is the way to do it. Because if whether you're a manager now for the Twins or or the Red Sox or whoever, the Pirates, go down the list, a manager or general manager, uh, you'll make sure this isn't happening. You're not going to turn an eye to it. That's right. Like A.J. Hinch did. That's right. I mean, jo- we have seen jobs are on the line. Amazing thing to me, and we have gotten to know A.J. very well during his time with the Astros for a couple of reasons. One, they've been one of the premier teams in baseball for the most part under his watch. They were they nearly won two World Series in a three-year span. Yeah, Jer- A near dynasty of a team. If they had won the World Series yeah. this year, that's a dynasty. I mean, Jerry DePoto, Mariners general manager, was very forthright in saying earlier this year, at the end of the season, I should say, that the Astros are the best baseball team he'd ever seen yeah the 2019 Astros I mean they were incredible and to me it is it's more of a life lesson than anything man no matter how high you are in life <laughs> nobody's invincible nobody I mean this is AJ Hinch was he he could have been the owner of two World Series trophies and the overseer of a dynasty instead he stuck with just one World Series and he's he is going to be marred in this game for the rest of his life. Yeah, for something, too, how much did it really help? I mean, That's there's the questions thing. about that, too. Well, I mean, they're getting they, dinged. They for... stopped using this method yeah. midway through the following season because they didn't find that it was getting the results that really warranted it. So and, you're and, right. And now you look at them, and it, everything is so uncertain. We're a month away from spring training. They're without a GM, without a manager. They're still really talented. They're going to be sure. a good baseball team this year, but – now, all of a sudden, they have questions, you know, without a couple draft picks coming up. They have some guys coming up as well with Correa and Springer in the near future. I mean, they have some serious questions coming up that need to be answered. And this is going to be a fascinating year for the Houston Astros. And big picture, 
no one will ever look at that 2017 World Series championship the same. As the investigation made very clear, there is firm evidence that they were using these tactics all the way through the World Series. Yeah. Rob Manfred said that he doesn't believe the commissioner's office has ever investigated anything to the level in which this was investigated. Over 76,000 emails were looked through. In addition to plenty of text messaging, Mm -hmm. in addition to nearly 70 in-person interviews, the last number that I saw. I mean, this is, uh, from a Mariner's perspective, when you think about the Mariner's time frame that Jerry has laid out time and time and time again, I think it could be easy for any fan to say, well, yeah, but the, I mean, the Astros aren't going anywhere, right? I mean, they they have this powerhouse, this churning powerhouse of talent. But, man, you strip a first and a second round pick, yeah. trying to get high-end talent beginning with your third round pick, it can be done, but it's not going to be to the level of a first and a second in back-to-back years. You mentioned Springer, his final year before free agency is 2020. Correa, two more years beginning in 2020. All of a sudden, uh, that starts to make the Mariners' window look a lot better. The Mariners still have a long way to go to get there, but the path is being paved by what player development is doing and those acquisitions. We've seen the farm system improve. We're going to see a number of those guys begin in Seattle this year. Or I should say we'll see them in Seattle. Some, like Evan White, will likely begin mm-hmm. in Seattle. Uh, this is obviously a, a really crippling blow to the game. It's a really black eye for yeah, baseball. Yeah, it's not great. But for the Mariners, this is certainly uh, makes their plan look even a little bit better. And you look at the Astros, too, already suffering some heavy losses. You look at this year with the top three in Cy Young Award voting, uh, Morton, who they lost two years ago, and Cole, who they lost this year. I mean, that's it's not easy to recover from on its own. This is big news. We'll be touching more on this uh, coming up later in the first hour when Evan Grant joins us. That'll be in roughly half an hour from now. Evan, the Rangers beat writer for the Dallas Morning News. I wonder if are Rangers fans enjoying this. Oh, I, can't, I actually can't wait to get Evan's perspective on this, too, because it's pretty exciting and a new stadium, and uh, they've had a pretty significant offseason as well. This is going to be a fun conversation with Evan. It always is with Evan. But. It, you, normally. Let's, let's not get – He's probably listening right now because he's that kind of a guy. (laughs) Hey, when we come back here on the first hour of the hot stove, we'll be joined by Mariners, uh, well, second baseman, left fielder. We saw him play a little bit all over the place. Shen Long joins us. He will be calling in from Portland, Oregon on the Mariners Care Community Tour. We talk with Shed coming right up. All things Mariners, all off-season. The Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. Here's the set by Parker, and again, the 0-2 on the way to Shed. Swing and a fly ball deep to right field. Down the line, going and going. Goodbye baseball. Shed Long with his first home run in the big leagues. A three-run home run here in the top of the eighth inning. Holy smokes, and it's now the Mariners 6 and the Twins 1. Man, forget a solo jack for your first one. How about a three-run dinger? Hey, you know, it was this time last year that we met Shed Long for the first time on the phone when the Mariners acquired Shed. And, uh, Shed, man, we have gotten to know you uh, a lot more in a year than we had uh, before you'd been a part of the Mariners organization. And uh, what a season it was for you. Uh, playing both in AAA and the big leagues. Uh, first of all, man, thank you for joining the show. How is uh, how's Portland and the Mariners Care Community Tour treating you? Having me. Oh, Portland is very cold right now. <laughs> um, snow on and off, and 
yeah, it's cold. It's not my kind of weather for sure. Hey, man, it was uh, uh, really fun to kind of watch your year unfold last year. You caught everybody's eye. Uh, you were the clubhouse leader in swag in spring training, and uh, that carried you over into the regular season when you made your debut with the Mariners. When when you look back to last year, Shed, you're number one for you in the majors. I mean, what do you think about first and foremost? Um, I think about, you know, learning, honestly. Um, I learned so much uh, last season, definitely like, the most I've probably learned my whole career in a season, you know. So I, that's really what I think about, and I just think about um, quality and professionalism, you know. It, it taught it taught me, you know, how to be a professional, a real professional. And just um, seeing, the, seeing the guys that's great in this game, seeing them go about their day, it, it kind of taught me, you know, how to have a routine as a professional and how to – how to work with quality and how, you know, you always hear people say, you know, quality over quantity, but, you know, I feel like they say that, but they don't abide by it. But, you know, being there, it really taught me to quality, work with quality, work with a purpose. You know what I mean? You had so many firsts, your first big league game, your first hit, your first home run. Do you have a favorite moment from last year? Favorite moment from last year? Um, it's definitely got to be my first hit, you know, just because my parents were there. And um, so, you know, that was that was a huge moment for me. And that was definitely a dream for me, and it was a dream come true. So that's definitely one of the big moments. But, I mean, my first homer is it's right there at the top with it because, um, honestly, D, D made that one of the most special moments ever, you know, so – both of those are just like right at the top together. What what did D do to make it so special? Well, just you know, he's like a mentor to me. Um, we we've been close for years now. Work out in the off season for the last what four or five years, and so uh, he was on base when I hit that homer. He was on first base, and he was actually happier than I was. You know, he was yelling and screaming the whole time that I was running around the bases. And that's why I was um, teasing so hard because I was actually laughing the whole time that I was running around the bases. I was laughing at him just of how pumped he was. And he actually told me after, he said, I was more happy for you than I was more happy for myself when I hit my first homer hit, you know. And so just being able to share that moment with him after all the hard work and grinding and talks that we've had and stuff, you know, it was – it was definitely big time. Oh, that's a great story. Hey, if, since you and D are so tight, Shed, I mean, in in the off season or during the season, does he ever let you drive the black Lambo? <laughs> yeah, for sure. But I like the I like the Bentley truck, so I drive the Bentley all the time. <laughs> oh, there's a Bentley truck that we don't know about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I drive that because the Lambo Lambo's a little too rough. You got to drive the Lambo. I like to just. You know, sit back and cruise and relax. <laughs> That's very, very generous of D. Uh, it sounds like you choose your friends wisely. Good for you. Hey, when we uh, sure. when we look back at your season last year, Shed, you know, you talked a little bit earlier as we're speaking with Shed Long here on the Hot Stove Show. 
you talked about kind of finding a routine. It would appear as though, Shed, you found that in particular in the final month of the season. Man, you ended really well in September, an OPS of over 850. You got moved to the leadoff spot near the end of the season and really flourished there. Was there anything in particular that you can point to as a, a reason for that success, particularly at the end of the year? I mean, definitely one is, you know, having a consistent routine. I was coming in at the same time every day. I was, you know, doing pretty much the same thing every day, uh, just, you know, planning things out and having a plan every day when I got to the ballpark, you know. And so that definitely helped me have more success. But um, also just, you know, having the confidence, you know, um, being in the leadoff spot and being put there every day, knowing that they trust me to, you know, set the tone for the game. And so, you know, that gave me more confidence and just that's all I wanted to do was really come in and set the tone and, you know, do what I had to do to help us win games, you know. We we saw you all over the place too, left field, third base, second base. How challenging was it to, to play all in those different spots at this level? Very, very. Um, you know, that was my first time playing outfield, so – it was a huge challenge, but I mean, I, I took it on and um, I was out there doing early work every day and um, having to do double work, really, because I have to do early work in the outfield and I got to do infield work. So, you know, it was it was definitely hard, but it was all worth it, you know, and, and my biggest thing was I just want to be on the field. I want to be able to be in the lineup or whatever. So wherever I need to be, I, I'll be there. So, you know, it it, um, it came down to me having to play left, so. I had to do what I had to do to get better at it and be able to do it because, I mean, I want to be out there. But I don't want it to where the pitchers don't want me out there, you know, so I had to work. You said a, a story that I want to share. I, I told you over the course of the season when this happened, and Gary actually reminded me of this before we took the air tonight, but I, I think other people would, would find this interesting as well, and I'd love to hear you talk about it again. Uh, over the summer, my son Jackson, who, who just turned five, Loves the Mariners, and he knows all of you guys by name and recognizes you. He, I mean, he can't read, but he can see the nameplates on the root graphics, and he knows who everybody is. And we were in the backyard playing baseball one day, and he put on his Mariners sunglasses, which was one of the giveaways at a game. And I'm pitching to him, and he puts on it. First of all, he, he was not wearing the glasses. And then I'm about to pitch to him, and he says, Dad, hold on. And he runs to the side of the yard. He picks up the sunglasses, puts them on, goes back into our fake batter's box and says, okay, I'm shed long. (laughs) (laughs) And to me, you know, at first I thought that was just kind of cool and cute and like, that's great. And my kids dialed in. This is awesome. Proud dad moment. But then the more I thought about it from your perspective, shed, I mean, you, you'd been in the bigs for like maybe a month or two, right? I mean, you played in Mm -hmm. 30 some games and there's a kid in a backyard in Seattle, who is pretending to be you. And I just thought, man, that's like, that's got to be one of the best versions of, man, I'm I'm in the show. When there's a kid in the backyard pretending totally. to be you. For sure. For sure. I mean, it's, it's definitely one of those surreal moments, you know, but it also is one of those things that just, it, it, it kind of, it brings me back to it. It makes me just remember, you know, it's like a motivation. It makes me remember that, Every night when I show up to the ballpark, I need to be giving it my all, and I need to be 
trying to be at my best because you never know who's watching. You never know who you're going to impact that night, you know, and especially for the younger kids. I mean, they're watching and they want to grow up and be in that position someday. So you always have to be, you know, a good role model for them and just try to show them the way, the right way, you know. Now that you've been there and experienced it, does it change anything you do this off season, getting ready for this season? Just trying to work smarter, you know, um, paying attention to more detail. I mean, every off season I'm working hard and I'm grinding, so, you know, that doesn't change. I'm going to grind like like I have nothing until I have it all, you know, but um, it definitely just – it. I definitely feel like I have more knowledge this off season, so I was able to work a little better, like, where I didn't have to do as much, but pay attention to more details and just get it done. Our final thought here was Shed Long, who joins us here on the Hot Stove Show. He's coming in from Portland, uh, very frigid Portland. He's part of the Mariners Care Community Tour. Shed, did I see right? Have you have you changed numbers? Are you going from number 39 to something else? I am. I'm going to my, my old faithful number four, um, I was as a kid growing up. That was my dad's favorite number, so it became my favorite number. Um, yeah, so I'm going back to number four, and I'm putting Junior on my last name on my jersey as well. Now, it's funny you bring that up because Gary was tooling around. Was it Fangraphs, Gary? Yeah, Fangraphs has you as a junior. And we didn't – and Gary – now, Gary's a junior, Shed, so now you, that's the one thing you have in common with Gary. Yeah. You're both juniors. We're both juniors. Uh can you tell us uh, the the motivation to having the junior on there? I mean, that could have easily been left off, and nobody would have known been the wiser. Honestly, um, so last year when I was in Tacoma, um, EY, Eric Young Jr., he was there with me as well, and he had his jersey on one day, and I saw it, it says Young Jr. He has a, he has a junior on his, and I was just looking at his jersey one day, and I said, you know what, EY? It was while we were sitting in the dugout, living in the, in the middle of an inning. And I'm like, you know what, EY? I'm putting Junior on my jersey. I got to put the Junior on there. You know, that's my name, so that's what I'm going to put on there. And he encouraged it. So after that moment, it was my mind was made up. As soon as the season ends, I'm telling them we got to change it to Junior. We got to put Junior on there. So when we talk about you and when we introduce you to this show, should we say Shedlong Junior? Um, yeah, pretty much. I mean, that's how it's going to be. That's how I'm going to be referred to now. Okay. Um, Yeah. I mean, that's going to be, that's what's going to be on TV. That's on the site, everything. Nice. Now, I mean this in a very good way. That's, that's a great power move. Gary, that's how it's going to be. Yeah. You understand? That's how it's going to (laughs) be. I mean, Gary's a junior. He can relate to this. I I know. That's why I asked the question. We're going to call Gary Junior. (laughs) (laughs) See, there it is. He knows. He knows. Shed, man, you are a a wonderful person to talk to. Uh, Just terrific answers and uh, good stories. And thank you so much for joining us. And uh, man, we we're looking forward to seeing you in some uh, warmer weather once we get down to Peoria, my man. Oh yes, sir. Can't wait to get to Arizona, man. All right. Well, Shed Long Junior. Uh, we thank him for joining us here on the Hot Stove Show, and uh, you know, Gary, you can Gary Junior. I mean, there yeah. are there are some guys that you talk to, and the answers that they give you are they answer the question that is asked, which is fair, right? Sure. But 
I find every time we talk to Shed, man, it's like he answers a question and then he gives you bonus. Yeah. And, and every it's just he's a really pleasant guy to speak with. One of my favorite quotes of all time is from Gary Payton, and he said, whenever you read something, you find something out. I feel like whenever we talk to Shedlong Jr., we find something out. Multiple things. Yeah. As is the case. No, it's so. great. It's He's so much fun to talk to, and uh, he was so much fun to be around last year. And I'm, you talked about the end of his season on the field sure. and just how good he was. I'm really – he is one of the guys that I am really looking forward to watch this year. Good stuff from Shedlong Jr. joining us here on the hot stove. Good way to get things going. When we come back, you know, right now Shed is handing the phone across the bus aisle to Brandon Brennan. Mariners reliever Brandon Brennan joins us after this. Back to more of the hot stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. Hot Stove Show continues. Aaron Goldsmith and Gary Hill as we continue checking in on the Mariners Care Community Tour, which right now is enjoying uh, hopefully some good food, one of the great food towns in America, down in Portland. As we welcome on the phone, Brandon Brennan, Mariners Reliever, joins us on the program. Brandon, uh, how you doing, man? Uh, thank you for joining us. I'm doing pretty good, guys. How you guys doing? Doing well. Now, Shed was, uh, uh, com- now, Shed was complaining about some some cooler temperatures. Are you you doing all right there in Portland with with the weather where I'm, it is? I'm doing just I'm doing just fine actually. I, I, I'm I'm pretty good. I'm enjoying a little bit cooler. I, I run a little bit hotter, I think, than that dude does. He's a, he's used <laughs> to that really hot and that humid weather. Where where is the off season spin for you, Brandon? So I I spent most of it this off season out in uh, Scottsdale. I moved out there kind of around the season. And I didn't really want to bounce around this whole off season. Usually most off seasons I have done that. So this one, I kind of wanted to get set in one spot and just be in one spot through spring training and get comfortable and be ready when baseball got around. Does that mean that you go in, I mean, Scottsdale and Peoria, they're not exactly next door to one another. Uh, but, I mean, do you work out at the Mariners complex or do you work out on your own someplace else? So, um, before I started to throw, I just did a lot of my own workouts. Um, but as soon as throwing picked up, then I started going into the facility and continuing uh, the same kind of schedule and routine I had going on at the end of the season that we had kind of come up with. So I just figured it was probably a good thing to be out there for that, too, to continue what I was doing to get on the right page for when season starts up. So you made it through your first big league season. When it's all said and done, how do you feel about your first year? I thought it was pretty successful in my, in my opinion. I mean, people always jump all over numbers, this, this, or that, good or bad. But for the overall, I mean, I showed a lot of media uh, success when I first got up there. Um, learned a lot in the process. Got my got beat up a little bit. Came back and uh, adjusted to the game within the game and everything that was coming out about me and showed success again. Then the end of the season with the roles coming out of the bullpen. So. Overall, for me, I look at it as an absolute success. I learned a lot, and I'm looking forward to putting all of it to to use for this coming season. How much, Brandon, have you been told about how the Mariners learned of you prior to the Rule 5 and how basically your changeup on paper was essentially graded out in their mind as like the best pitch of anyone in the Rule 5 and a pitch that they believed – just looking at the metrics of it, uh, using TrackMan data, 
that they believe that this pitch could really be effective against major league hitters. And, and that's the reason why they selected you in the rule five. And they were obviously correct. And we saw how devastating of a pitch it is. I mean, did you know about that? And if so, at what point did you kind of learn that that was your, your path to the Seattle and to the big leagues? So um, when I first developed it, honestly, I had it for like the last year I was with the White Sox. That was like the first full season I really had with that changeup. And I mean, I knew then that it was a pretty dominant pitch because I could throw it at any count at any point, and I could get either a swing and miss or a miss hit and get an out with it. Um, and so I didn't know that Seattle was picking me because of that, obviously. Uh, to be totally honest, I was not expecting to be a Rule 5 selected person anyways. I like I was sitting on the couch with my nephew in one hand and my dog in the other and just hanging out watching morning TV until my phone started blowing up. And like, hey, you're a Rule 5 pick. I'm like, uh, okay, well, I wasn't expecting that, but that's awesome. Um, but, yeah, they sat me down when I first got out there. Uh, they had little meetings with everybody, and they're like, hey, this is really what we see. This is how we project you to be out. This is why we picked you in the Rule 5, and this changeup is going to be really the key to your success. Did, did I hear that right? You didn't start throwing it, though, until the last year you were with the White Sox? Yep. I did not I didn't. I did not fully develop it. The first, the last season I was with them is the first full season I actually had that pitch. So how did, you, how did it come about? Um, at the time, majority of my career with the White Sox, I was a starter. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the last years I was with them, as, a, like, as an actual starter before I got moved to the bullpen, I was getting my butt kicked and it was so much because i had no speed deception between anything i was throwing a hard fastball my changeup i had at the time was 88 89 and i had a hard slider so by the fourth inning i could go through the lineup one time fine but by the second time it was they always were able to fight it off or put it in play enough to get a base hit and i'd throw a lot of pitches and i'd be exhausted and i'd be like it's just not fun um, and then I worked with uh, I worked with a guy named J.R. Purdue over there, and he's like, All right, "We need to find something that's going to really throw the hitters off their timing, keep them off, keep them off your heater." And uh, we messed around with a lot of different grips, changeup wise, and we found one that just, I mean, I just fell in love with it, and it worked, and it sat in my hand right, and just, I mean, it became the pitch I have now. Brandon Brennan is our guest here on the hot stove. Uh, you know, Brendan, I'm. Uh, Brett, and I'm always interested in kind of learning what a player's, man, I'm in the big leagues moment is. Like the first time that you had that thought, whether it be when you're on the mound, whether you're sitting in the bullpen, whether it's at the hotel, on the bus, it doesn't have to be at the ballpark. But what was the first moment where you're like, this is my first look around me, be like, man, this is this is happening. I'm, I'm in the show. Oh, I mean, opening day. I mean, obviously we went, we went to Tokyo and that was really cool, but it was kind of like, obviously I made my debut out there, but it wasn't, it wasn't quite the same obviously. Cause we also played the two exhibition games. We came back and played another two exhibition games. But when we opened up against, I mean, obviously the world champs at the time, Boston Red Sox, who just won the world series. So they're coming into town to open up the season and, we're doing the rolling out the carpets, stadium's <laughs> packed. I had my parents there. It was their first time to come see a game, and I I got to even go in the game. I threw the last two innings, close out the first game, and then when I saw mom and dad after, oh, boy, the emotions were flying then. I bet, man. I can imagine. 
Uh, well, you know, Brandon, this is awesome of you to join us. Uh, we're, we're looking forward to year number two for you in, in a Mariners uniform. And, uh, you know, worth noting, too, Gary, sneaky good hair for Brandon. Yeah, Brandon. yeah wow. I think this, this was not covered enough in year one. Brandon, would you agree with that assessment? I'm sorry, I missed that. I, sneaky good hair, Brandon. I mean, I don't think that was... You know, I try. I try to have it as nice as I can. Yeah, no, I think so. I think people people need to be aware of that. And we're, we're just trying to, <laughs> we're trying to increase your brand a little bit more. Uh, Brandon, hey, hey. No, I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, keep shed warm. Maybe get him a jacket or something there in Portland. Uh, the you rest know, I'm going to go. I, he just hit up the Nike store. I'm pretty sure he bought himself something to try and keep him warm <laughs> for the next two days. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, it's great checking in with you. We look uh, forward to seeing you not too far from now in Peoria under some sunshine, my man. No, I'm looking forward to seeing you guys, too. Let's get back to baseball, man. You got it. There he is, Brandon Brennan, out of the Mariners' bullpen. Good stuff, man. Good conversation there with Brandon. When we return, uh, we'll be wrapping up our number one here on the Hot Stove Show. Evan Grant of the Dallas Morning News covers the Texas Rangers, does a fine job of it. Rangers beat writer Evan Grant joins us in a moment. All things Mariners, all off-season. The Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. This is the Hot Stove Show, Aaron Goldsmith and Gary Hill. We are in the back end of hour number one. We bring in uh, one of our good friends in the game, the one and only Evan Grant of the Dallas Morning News, does a fine job covering the Texas Rangers. You know, Evan, Gary and I were just talking during that commercial break. We were talking about how what we wanted to ask you about. We wanted to get on the same page here. And it, it kind of went like this. Uh, I would make fun of you, you would fire back at me, and then you'd probably hang up, and then we'd go to break. Does that sound <laughs> like an appropriate segment to you? I believe the text that I got from you earlier today first addressed me as a uh, handsome fella. Yeah, I mean, loosely loosely interpreted. Yeah, something along those lines. Yeah. Actually, Evan, it's good It's good to hear your voice. Big, sexy man. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I, don't know. I mean, I don't want to make an Astros investigation out of this or anything, okay? Um, we'll just take your word for it. Happy New Year to you, All Evan. Right. How are you, my friend? I'm good. How are you guys? It's good to be with you. Likewise. Good to be with you as well. Thank you for carving out some time out late uh, back there in the great state of Texas. Um, you know, Evan, Gary and I were, were talking about the Rangers uh, earlier tonight before we, uh, the show started. And, you know, and our conversation about the Rangers during the season was that it kind of felt like a team that was doing the opposite of every other team, which was either they're all in and going for it or they're completely out of it and rebuilding the Rangers were kind of it felt like idling but man the Rangers are making some moves a headline by Corey Kluber you know increase the rotation Kyle Gibson is now a Texas Ranger Jordan Lyles has joined things Todd Frazier was just signed you got a new ballpark what's the feeling in the Metroplex in terms of this 2020 season for the Texas Rangers well I I think that it's about incremental improvement, and that can be a big increment. It can be a small increment. But I think the Rangers feel like they are through um, the teardown portion of their of their rebuild or the reorganization portion of their rebuild, and they are moving towards higher ground. Um, you look at the moves that they've made this offseason, uh, the big move they wanted to make was Anthony Rendon. They didn't get that one done. What they have pivoted to, to and what they've, the, the various moves that they've made 
I, I think helps them get incrementally better just about everywhere around the field. And I'm not so sure they're done yet. I, I, I still think it's very possible that they'll they'll add Nicholas Castellanos to the roster um, uh, as another right-handed bat to further balance the lineup. And, and if you if you do that, and you go around the field and you look at this club. I think you see a a better team on the field than you did last year. Is it good enough to unseat the Astros if the Astros come close to repeating what they did last year as AOS? I'm not sure. Uh, I don't know if it's good enough to unseat Oakland. But I do think this will be a better team uh, in 2020. And and I I really think that 21 and 22 is when the Rangers view their their opportunity really significantly opening up. I know there's some health questions surrounding Corey Kluber, obviously. He only pitched in seven games last year, but it felt like what the Rangers had to give up was pretty light considering Kluber's background. What is your view of that deal for Corey Kluber? Yeah, I feel I I, I don't want to denigrate anybody that the Rangers gave up. I, I think the world of Delano De Shields. I think he's he's a great defender. I think he's got more in the tank than he has shown. I think sometimes he's his own worst enemy because he wants to be so good. Uh, and look, Emmanuel Classe was was throwing a hundred miles an hour when he came up last year. But here's the deal: at, at this point, De Shields is. Is a is a great fourth outfielder, um, and, and and possibly more than that. And Classe is is a is a reliever. And when you've got the ability to to put those two guys in a deal, and get a guy who can front a rotation the way Kluber can if he's healthy, I think you've got to take that chance. Uh, I, I think they, the Rangers would have taken that chance. If it presented itself, whether they had gotten a big name first in the free agent market or not, because it just there's innings eaters, uh, top tier starting pitchers are so hard to come by in this game, uh, and, and I think that the Rangers saw an opportunity there where they felt like we can we can now stack Kluber into into a rotation that showed last year it had some innings-eating capability with Mike Miner and, and Lance Lynn. You add in Kyle Gibson, and you add Jordan Lyles as a number five guy. I think this team could be looking at at a lot of six-inning starts, and that kind of runs counter to where a lot of baseball is right now. But when you can – and that's been out of necessity for a lot of teams. But when you get six-inning starts from, six start from guys, Teams are six are, are, are winning sixty percent of the time or better, and that I think is what the Rangers are trying to simplify this down to. If you give us innings, we'll have a chance to win. Rangers beat writer Evan Grant of the Dallas Morning News is our guest on the Hot Stove Show. You know, Evan, for the last couple of years, few years, we've been talking to you at this time of the year about your Hall of Fame vote and voting for Edgar, so we can stop asking you about. <laughs> Your votes for Edgar, and you have you did vote for Edgar. Uh, now we still want to talk to you about your Hall of Fame ballot because you have uh, on it uh, a Mariner, former Mariner Omar Vizquel uh, received your vote this year, and um, he's kind of been a lightning rod uh, for Hall of Fame voters, pro or con. Uh, pro, of course, for his incredible defensive abilities. Con, people don't see him 
as enough of an offensive threat despite collecting uh, some really good hitting numbers over the course of about a 25-year career. I'm curious what, what led you to vote for Omar Vizquel. Yeah, I, you know, guys, I don't know that I've got a a set set of um, of qualifications. I, I try and look at guys individually, and I look at their their contributions. Um, I, I do look at some analytics, but I'm not sure that analytics are the only determining factor. For me, it, 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 it's this: I, I look at Biskell and. By every, by every measurement at the time that he was playing the game, he was considered, if not the, the best shortstop in the game, uh, he became the best fielding shortstop when, uh, when Ozzie retired. He was, he was, in my mind, a stellar defender, and I think there is a place in the Hall of Fame for guys who – who make their careers as defenders, uh, and I think that's a, I think it's a difficult case to, um, to really quantify because we've we've had a hard time coming up with defensive metrics that that everybody agrees are accurate. But I do know this: that during the entirety of his career, he was considered an elite elite defender. The number of Gold Gloves speak for themselves, and I also. I also don't look at longevity as a negative in the Hall of Fame balloting. If you stay in the big leagues for 25 years, uh, you've done some things right. And uh, if you compile some numbers over the course of those years that, that stand up, like the, like the hit total, I don't look at that as, as a negative. I, I, I think that, that that all works in, in your favor. And so ultimately for me, I voted. I, I, I voted on Omar uh, because I just I, I felt like, based on his case as a defender, based on how long he was he was considered an elite defender, that I, I believe that, that he's worthy of Hall of Fame uh, induction. I think Hall of Fame voting is really hard, and I feel like it gets even more difficult seemingly on a yearly basis. How much do you enjoy voting on the Hall of Fame? Uh, it's I don't think it's hard. I mean, I okay. think it's I think it's an honor, and I, I take it seriously. But I also I, I also try and evolve in how I vote every year. Um, I I also try and consider every year. I try and consider what I heard from fans based on my vote last year, because ultimately the Hall of Fame is is for fans, and uh, I, I I try and view like just some input from them on what they value in, in a hall of fame player. Uh, but it's ultimately my decision. Um, and like I say, I think that there's different cases to be made for different guys based on, on different merits. We talked about this over the course of the, of the number of years that Edgar was on the hall of fame ballot. And, and I thought the case to make for him was based on what he did uh, both as, as, kind of the icon of the Seattle franchise for such a long period of time and on how he kind of transformed what the DH was in the American League. So is there is there a way to specifically measure that? I don't know, but for me those were all those were all really valuable criteria and I'm okay with 
with the idea that some things that you can't measure uh, make a guy a, a Hall of Famer. I love how Evan just completely shot you out of the sky right there, Gary. That That's fine. I, no. No, you, I, you know, it's, 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 I understand. It's, own it, own it, Evan. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard sometimes I, to deal with social media, right? Because people just want to want to take shots, and it's hard to satisfy everybody. But in my mind, if we're not enjoying this, yeah. we we shouldn't do it. Are the are the choices sometimes difficult? Yeah. Look, I mean. For me this year, uh, I, I, I gave a lot of consideration to Jeff Kent. I gave some consideration to Billy Wagner, but I was I was content with the ten guys I put on my ballot. And uh, you know, if if not all of those guys make it, and not all of them will, obviously, and I'm fine with that too. I, I just think that that the system ultimately works pretty well, uh, and I. I think that everybody. Well, I can't speak for everybody. I know that the baseball, the active baseball writers that that I talk to, who who are involved and who participate in this, they all take this very seriously, and they put a lot of effort into it, uh, and they're very conscientious about it, and and I think they enjoy the process. Yeah. That's why I think it's hard. I mean, because the stakes for people that take it seriously, like I'm not a voter, but I take the Hall of Fame seriously, that it's it can be complicated, especially when, you know, you have 10 and maybe you like 11, maybe you like 12. So, yeah, it's it's a good answer. I like this answer. I agree with that. I mean, I I agree that that there's there's never it's never it's these four guys and that's it or it's these 10 guys and that's it. There's always further conversation, and as, yeah. as I said, you know, I was talking to um, to Ryan Thibodeau, who who runs the Hall of Fame Tracker online, and and I love the fact that we make our votes um, we make our votes public, and that a lot of guys make the votes public before the ballot, uh, but before the induction ceremony, and that there is this kind of continual conversation online. Uh, an interest in the Hall of Fame for for two intense interest in the Hall of Fame for the two months leading up to to the voting results. I, I, I think it's a good thing for for the game. It's a good thing for the Hall, and, and I, I just think people people are passionate about it, and I respect that. And a lot of times, people are passionate about guys because they're fans and not based on their metrics. And I, I see that come across. All the time, and I, as a guy, I told you guys this before. As a guy who grew up in what was at that point in time a small market and things that were, you uh, know, in, in a world that was dominated by the New York and Boston's uh, of the world, I think there is something to be said for guys who were considered long-term icons of a franchise that an entire fan base really got to appreciate. We've got a few minutes left with Evan Grant, who covers the Rangers for the Dallas Morning News. Uh, hey, Evan, in your own state, huge, huge news, obviously, uh, the Houston Astros and uh, the penalties of uh, the harshest consequences from the commissioner's office for their sign-stealing scandal. Uh, Jeff Luno is out. A.J. Hinch is out, both suspended, then fired. The Astros fined $5 million. They lose their first and second-round picks 
in each of the next two years. I'm curious, as a, as a guy who covers the game and sees the Astros as much as we do, your just overall impressions of uh, the penalties that were imposed on the Astros. I just I, I just finished a column earlier this evening, and and um, and it's online. But uh, I've spent the last 24 hours not so much trying to digest the penalties, but trying to figure out like where this takes us from here. Right? I mean, that's that that's ultimately where what I want to see is is some kind of long term solution in place. Uh, as far as the the penalties go, I, I think that it's a really difficult needle that that Rob Manfred had to had to thread uh he had promised players immunity and even though this came out to be a player uh driven and player centric uh setup no players were suspended um i i did think that Jeff Luna was going to end up getting uh a longer suspension than he did but I think that when the Boston reports really started to come to light, I think it was difficult for baseball to look at this and say, well, we may have a whole, um, a whole wave of these investigations that come up, and, I, and we might not be able to just ban a, an entire wave of executives and, and, and managers, and, and they may have stepped back from that just a little bit. Um, I don't know that – I've seen – Lots of reports about what the Astros made from postseason and from sales and, and all of this, uh, and how five million dollars is a very paltry sum. But it's the most that the commissioner could levy against anybody. If I had any issues with anything, it would be um, I think that while while there are penalties all the way across the board, the one area that was not um, uh, touched was their international cap space money. And I think that you could make a case that some of that could have been taken away as well. Hey, last minute with Evan Grant. Evan, new ballpark for you guys. There will be people who want to get warmed up, come out to Arlington, catch the Mariners and the Rangers. Now, there's a Lockhart barbecue that is currently there, right? It's on the, it's on the curb of the new ballpark. I would say Blow and I ate there every night. Yes, that's a fact. Every night. Uh, Gary was there very often as well. Twice during a rain delay, I think. <laughs> so, Evan, outside of Lockhart's, on the curb of the new ballpark, Mariners fans who hop on an Alaska flight, go nonstop into DFW, they want to take some Texas barbecue in. Where's the one spot you are sending them outside of Lockhart's right there at the ballpark? The one spot? I, I... My probably the the place that has most impressed me um, most recently in Dallas is uh, Cadillac Barbecue, and it's not spelled like the car; it's spelled like cattle, mm. A C K at the end. Um, uh, and it's only open, I believe, Thursday through Saturday or Wednesday through Saturday. Uh, but I think their meats are just uh, are just ridiculously good. But if, if, if people come to Dallas and they go to Cadillac, if they go to Lockhart, if they go to Pecan Lodge, uh, Terry Black's just opened in Deep Ellum, very close to Pecan Lodge. If they go to Fort Worth and they go to Heim, uh, and that's H-E-I-M, I think any of those places are going to give people an extraordinary barbecue experience, um, and you can't go wrong with any of them.
Now you, you to, you're saying pecan. I mean, you're you're saying it in a way that I can't understand it. But it's <laughs> you're saying pecan lodge, right, Evan? I I don't know why I've always said pecan, but yeah, it's pecan lodge. Because you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna break it into two words, it's it's pecan, right? But you're you're you made up a, a whole new pronunciation of of a nut. It's, am I, am I, 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 first of all, I've I've never been a big fan of that particular nut. Uh, so I don't care how I mispronounce it. Um, <laughs> and, and yeah, I, I am constantly ridiculed for how I how I pronounce it, and oh, I wish they changed their tree. <laughs> but yeah, what a pecan, 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 whatever. Go to the lodge in Deep Ellum and and get you some of their brisket. Get you uh, the what what I would recommend everybody do there is get the Pitmaster sandwich because it includes all of their meats on it, and it is it is just a ridiculous experience. All the meats. That sounds like my all kind of meats. sandwich. Uh, you know, Evan, I knew I knew this would be the best part of our conversation, so I saved it for the very end. Uh, I'm sorry that Gary was so combative. There's nothing I could do about that. <laughs> yeah, but, it got heated. Yeah, it did. Um, but, Evan, you know how we feel about you. We love you. It's always good to talk with you, especially in the winter months. And uh, we'll be seeing you in Surprise or in Peoria or someplace where the Mariners and the Rangers tangle. And then we'll be seeing you plenty uh, come April time. So thanks for hopping on the show late, late back there in uh, the Metroplex. So thank you. All right, guys. I enjoyed it, even though despite the fact that you were hosting the show, Aaron. <laughs> thank you, Evan. Thank you very much. Yes. There is Evan Grant. We love Evan very much. He's uh, truthfully, he's one of the best in the business. You see him on MLB Network all the time. And man, you want to talk meats? You want to talk BBQ? Evan's your guy, as you found out. So now you know. Now you know where to go. All right, that'll do it for hour number one here with the Hot Stove Show. When we come back, we've got hour number two. We'll be joined by Jesse Smith in a short while, Mariners Director of Analytics. We've got a lot to get to. All that's straight ahead. This is the Hot Stove Report. Going, going, goodbye, baseball. On 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle app. Welcome to the grand hour number two of the Hot Stove Show. Aaron Goldsmith, Gary Hill, Dawson Javier Wilder running things for us. As we go to the phones once again, we bring on Jesse Smith, the Mariners Director of Analytics, who uh, was scheduled to be in studio with us today, but he is uh, stuck eating uh, MREs in, uh, in, in Issaquah. Is that right, Jesse? Uh, that is right, Uh Good to be here. Down to all the perishables are gone. Canned <laughs> goods. Uh, day two, we're, I don't know. We must be snowed in day three up here on the plateau. Are you Are you etching <laughs> SOS? Yes. And are, are, like, are there two vertical marks on the walls of your home? There will be a third one tomorrow to document the number of days that you are trapped? Uh all I, all I know is, you know, being being away from the Mariners uh, database for this many hours just really takes its toll. No, I'm surprised that you don't have access to uh, uh, Trident, correct? Trident, the internal. But is this like a a security oh, breach no. reason? I mean, I've I got mean, a, I've got access 24 okay. seven, but it's just it's slower, you know, oh, okay. so much you can do. Okay. Oh well, we got man, we got tons we want to talk to Jesse about. He's always so kind with his time to join us, especially this time of year, and, and talk about the offseason. Uh, first of all, before we get into kind of some nuts and bolts of the winter times for uh, you, Jerry DePoto and company, uh, Jesse, kind of what has uh, this offseason been like for you and your guys in the uh, the nerd closet for the Mariners and the analytics group? Because this has been, uh, right, it's been a different offseason for, for Jerry and company. 
Yeah. Uh, in, in a lot of ways, I think it's, it hasn't been that different. Uh, we're still, we're still dreaming on players. Uh, I think there's, you know, there's, there's less of a focus on, uh, on the short term uh, and optimizing wins. But that being said, there's, there's always still a focus on the short term and optimizing wins. And we're always uh, dreaming uh, for the next superstar in the analytics echo chamber. So I guess it's been a little quieter in terms of, uh, you know, Jerry distractions on big trades, but uh, <laughs> you know, that's just, just because they haven't happened doesn't mean the distractions aren't ongoing. Uh, so I think one of the big analytic wins from last year, Brendan Brennan, who we just had on a few minutes ago, it was really interesting, Jesse, to hear him talk about how I guess I never realized that he didn't start throwing his change up until his last year with the White Sox, which made me think about the amount of time that your department actually had to determine how good that pitch was, just how narrow of a time it was before he became a Rule 5 pick. How did that all develop with Brandon Brennan? Yeah, I, uh, I, I might be mistaken on this, but I believe he. You know, we had something like six change-ups uh, that we were going off of uh, as to whether or not we thought he could throw a changeup, wow. and you know they were they were they were special changeups. I think we've you know we've seen how it moves uh, with more regularity as a Mariner, uh, but we had a lot of questions, of course, when someone when a pitch looks good to us but it isn't thrown. Uh, there's always a a story there. You know, maybe the pitcher is just not comfortable. Maybe he wasn't even trying to throw a change up, and these are just you know weird mis like misthrown fastballs or something. Mm. But uh, we felt like uh, you know it was a really good job. Uh, our manager of analytics, uh, Joel Furman, flagged him uh, and really beat the drum on him uh, as an interesting player. Uh, just you know, scrap heap, low acquisition costs, so wasn't much of a risk to see if he could throw the change up. And we also felt that uh, he had some, you know, some other interesting pitches too. So even if the change up wasn't, you know, what we would dream that it might be, we might still have an interesting pitcher. And, you know, I think early in the season last year, uh, when he, you know, he came out of the gate, was throwing really well, and we were really excited about it. And I think I came on the radio and, you know, maybe did an early victory lap on, you know, what a great, uh, what a great pitcher he is, but uh, we're still very high on him and think that uh, he, he's going to be a really have a great career as a Mariner. Jesse Smith joins us on the hot stove show. He's the Mariners director of analytics. And uh, Jesse, we want to play for you and for everybody else, uh, a snippet from the latest wheelhouse podcast with uh, your boss, Jerry DePoto talking about the Omar Narvaez trade with Milwaukee. The Mariners get back, a right-handed starting pitching prospect, Adam Hill, also get a competitive balance round pick for this year's uh, upcoming draft. But we want to get your your thoughts on it from uh, the lens that you and your guys look through. But first, to, to kind of catch everybody up to speed, here's Jerry talking about the Omar Narvaez trade. What we got back, you know, Adam was a fourth-round draft pick with the, the New York Mets, actually, out of South Carolina, big guy who went out and, and generally did the things that starting pitcher prospects do. And, you know, he still needs to develop his third pitch. And, you know, we're going to give him an opportunity. He's likely to start the season in Modesto and continue to build his innings there. And a, a really undervalued part of the trade for us was that comp draft pick. We, we probably could have, have achieved something in a more, uh, I guess, 
noteworthy prospect name, someone you may have heard of in the prospect family. But that comp pick does multiple things. One, you know, as of today, it's the 67th pick in the draft. It has a chance to be as high as the 65th pick in the draft, which is no sneeze. That's a real value by itself. It also gives us another 900000 ish dollars in pool space that we're able to use at any point we want to. So, you know, we now have the ability with with a top 10 pick in the draft with an extra, let's call it million dollars in cash flexibility. We have the ability to navigate either the comp or second rounds of this draft in ways we've really never been able to. Having those picks is hugely valuable, particularly when you get the opportunity to buy up, so to speak, and, and, and or buy a player down to your pick. One of the nuances of this most recent collective bargaining agreement is that you have the ability to discuss uh, contractual parameters or bonus size with players before you ever get to the draft pick, which used to not be the case. So, you know, using that type of flexibility where we can and the comp pick provides that to us, you can't exceed your, your pool. So we needed to go out and, and it, I guess, add on to that pool if we wanted to be creative in the draft space. And that's we determined that to be as valuable to us as any prospect we could have acquired. That again, Jerry DePoto from the uh, multi-award-winning podcast, the Wheelhouse Podcast with Jerry DePoto. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Jesse, yeah, I'm curious. You obviously saw Omar's season. The Mariners had Omar for one year after acquiring him from the White Sox, and uh, they sold high on Omar. He had a, a career season. I'm curious uh, your vantage point of this trade and in particular what the Mariners get back. And, uh, of course, a big question mark for the competitive balance pick, but that's uh, obviously a huge win for the franchise. Yeah. Uh, you know, Jerry's, of course, going to be far more eloquent than I. Uh, but, uh, right, Adam Hill, you know, he touched on it. Uh, it's an interesting pitcher. I think he he hasn't had as much success as one would have hoped right out of the draft, but uh, he did have, you know, a lot of, a lot of value in the draft and uh, has a great frame, a, a, an interesting arsenal. And we think that uh, we've put, a, we put a lot of energy in developing our, our pitching plans and our player development process to that end. So we think we're getting a really interesting athlete with him, but yeah, the real, uh, from the analytics lens, the real, uh, interesting part to break down is the competitive balance pick and just, you know, what, what is that worth? Uh, because, you know, it's, it's like Jerry said, it's something like 900,000 to a million dollars of slot money. Uh, and this draft pick, which is, you know, something like 67th currently. Uh, but money in the draft is worth far more than, than money in free agency. Uh, you know, and that being of course, because, the team that drafts the player gets control of them uh, into the minor leagues. And then uh, if they make the major leagues uh, for the first six years of service time. Uh, so if you hit on a star, uh, you can really uh, change the course of your franchise and, you know, have the ability to still go out and, and buy free agents to complement those uh, cost controlled starts. So where I'm going with all this is that uh, the Seattle Mariners, are, are all in on the draft. We've, we put a ton of resources into doing everything we can to make our lotto tickets, the best lotto tickets in the draft and, uh, and to learn how to value them and just understand exactly what we're doing. And when we were looking at it, uh, you know, last year and the last few years, we were looking at, you know, what we, what we reasonably would have expected to get 
uh, if we'd had this pick number. And you know, you can't you can't go back in time and uh, precisely say, oh, we would have taken this player or that player. But we can look at sort of the pool of players out there, and you know, the it, number sixty-seven in the draft is probably not the most interesting sounding asset to the average Mariners fan, but it hit, it turns into a star player or at least an above average major league player at, you know, a 10 to 20% clip, depending on how you measure it. Uh, and that's, uh, you know, if you get enough, you get enough of those 10 to 20% shots, uh, then you've got yourself, you know, a controllable superstar uh, for cheap. So, and that's, you know, that makes all the difference in the world. So that's something we're really valuing there. And then, uh, with Omar, you know, great season, great guy was, was awesome for us. And I think that one is just more about, it's also about the, you know, the timing of it, that he's entering arbitration and that we have, uh, some, you know, catching depth out of nowhere, uh, in Tom Murphy and Austin Nola, just really showing us that, you know, they're ready for opportunities and, uh, it just made sense for us to. To, to deal one at least one of those catchers. You bring up a couple of interesting names with Nola and Murphy, and I'm fascinated now when you look at, I don't know, the bottom five, six of any 40-man roster at this point, and two players you just mentioned are great examples. Oliver Drake, I think, is the best example. He spent, what, time with seven teams the year before last, and then last year had a really nice season with Tampa Bay. How much do you pay attention to the bottom of rosters throughout baseball and comparing it to the bottom of your 40-man roster? I mean, how does that go about uh, how does that go about for your department when you're looking at players like Nola and Murphy? Yeah, it's something we we spend a considerable amount of energy on. There's, you know, every every time someone hits uh the waiver wire, uh we it gets distributed to all of our analysts and our scouts uh, and our top evaluators. And it pretty much becomes an open forum for anyone to, uh, you know, make a suggestion that we should look at a certain player that, you know, he might fit on our 40 man roster, uh, you know, for X, Y, and Z reasons. And really it's a great place to find value, uh, particularly for those, like, for example, if you have a team, like the Yankees that is putting in, they're really focused on the short term. Uh, and they have, a, you know, they've had a very good farm system as well. So they, if there, if there's a player that might be good, that has some interesting prospect value, but isn't ready to contribute uh, for them next season, uh, that player might end up on waivers and uh, a team like us, that's, you know, might be more willing to, to ride a bit of a bumpy road with a player uh, can do so and, you know, uh, reap the rewards if it hits. We're joined by Jesse Smith, the Mariners Director of Analytics. I, I was really interested in some of your comments, Jesse, about the draft and how all in the Mariners are are on the draft. And Scott Hunter has taken that over, and, and now I guess at this point it's back in 2017, so he's had three drafts under his belt. And Mariners fans have, have seen the prospect rankings rise dramatically in the last couple of years. And a part of that is because Jerry has been active and has acquired a lot of young talent to be a part of the farm system. But also there's been some good drafts. And Evan White was Scott Hunter's first pick, number first-round pick for the Mariners back in 2017. I'm curious, with as much work as 
even your department certainly does with the draft as well. When you look at the Evan White extension, the Mariners could have Evan White under contract for nine years at T-Mobile Park in the big leagues. That can be seen and should be seen as a player development victory, right? I mean, this is a young man who was taken 17th overall, who performed well enough for the minors and has the as much of a, a good of a makeup to make the Mariners believe in him long-term. But I'd have to think also, Jesse, that uh, for the good men, men and women in your department, this is also a, a great win as well for the work that you put into it. I'm curious for the analytics department when that extension goes through, what your guys' thoughts are because obviously you guys chipped into that draft pick as well as all the scouts who had boots on the ground in, in Lexington and everywhere else. Yeah, well, you raise a really interesting question there, which is, is, is Evan White's uh, success to this point in his career because uh, of the draft, because that's how good he was in the draft, and we identified that talent, and, uh, you know, that's, that's all she wrote. Or is it because our player development system has, has challenged him and fostered him and made him, uh, it really developed him into, into the player that he is now? Uh, and that's, you know, that's a question that is incredibly difficult to answer, and I don't know. But, uh, but you know, the easiest thing to do is say it's probably some of all of the above. Uh, Evan's got great makeup and, you know, certainly has the will to succeed and uh, challenge himself to get better. And uh, we've certainly done everything we can to facilitate that for him. Uh, I think it, it was it was a really good pick for us. Uh, or, you know, it's, it was a fun pick for us because that was one where he wasn't exactly the prototypical profile at the time. Analytics definitely had an assist uh, in combination with how our scouts felt about him. Uh, and it's, you know, he still has not exactly your prototypical profile, uh, given that he has the speed and uh, that, you know, the power is certainly there, but we're not exactly sure how long uh, it's going uh, to take to see more of those home runs go airborne. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's a great feeling. It'll be really interesting to see uh, how he settles in spring training. And I'm sure eventually uh, he will get it all figured out, but you never want to, you never want to bank on someone uh, right out of the gate, you know, starting out hot. You've put a lot of resources yourself into building a draft. What, what do you call it? Da- database, I guess for the draft. Uh, yeah. What, what went into putting that together? And how much have you changed it from when you first put it together? Yeah, it, it really, it's, it's living and breathing. Uh, mm-hmm. I think every time you go through a draft, you, you understand that there's more and more that uh, your draft model might not be able to see and understand. And your, your formula might say something, but then you talk about it with the people in the room who've actually seen the player and, really know the player and it, it occurs to you that, you know, uh, it gives, it gives you ideas for, for how to improve things that kind of make that information come to life a little bit more. Sometimes it's in there, but it's just buried because, uh, you need intuition sometimes to guide you to, to find the right, uh, I I guess I could step back whenever you're doing something in the analytics department, it's always going to be about something that's proven, empirically 
I, when I give a number, it's not, hey, Jerry, this is my opinion. It's, it's hey, Jerry, this is a statistical model that we built that is using the past to help us make a risk assessment of all the outcomes and, you know, putting, putting all that together, this is what it says, and I'll put my stamp on it uh, because I understand it and help build it. Uh, but long story short, it's always changing. This year will continue to change. It's never perfect. It's just one of those imperfect things that you will always have ideas to make better. Jesse, man, we always appreciate your time, uh, especially when you're snowed in for two days. We know you've got a, a homemade water filtration system you need to get back to and probably a Bunsen burner or two that needs some attention. But uh, is, the, is the little one doing okay? I mean, I guess he's cooped up no matter what, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's just, you know, there's the excitement. We've got a lot of sledding going on. we got a snowman making an appearance. So it's, you know, it's been pretty good, I'd say. How would you, on a on a... 2080 scale, how would you grade your snowman making abilities? You know, I'm more of an ideas guy. <laughs> okay, uh, so you're say, thinking outside the snowman poor. box? Pretty poor. I'm going I'm going 35. I mean, Ooh, no one that is no one's no one's getting me off waivers for my snowman. So you have good uh, ideas. You just need someone to come over and execute the snowman. To execute right. the making you know, I'm, of the snowman. I'm teaching, I'm teaching you know, my two year old the ways and eventually I'll empower him to figure these things out. All right. Well, um, I'm I'm eager to one day learn more about how outside the the snowman box you're thinking. But I think uh, fatherhood, you've got a ways to go if, that, if this is the case, Jesse. I mean, I'm not I'm not judging, but I mean, if you're a 35 snowman, although I will say in, the, in our backyard we didn't get past the base of the snowman. Well, kids okay. tapped out. Should have given him gloves for Christmas. Uh, Jesse, this was uh, great to talk with you. We will uh, talk to you in person next time when you sometime will be able to get out of your home in Issaquah. The ice will have melted, the snow will go away, and we'll see you in Peoria. We can't wait for that. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm sorry I couldn't come in, although I did learn that I can actually view you guys live. And, you know, I'll, I'll admit now that we're done that I've been watching you this whole time. Oh, so. So you saw all that. <laughs> well, that's, that's, actually, <laughs> that's a problem. <laughs> okay. Uh, thanks for the thanks for the tip. Uh, good to know that thing is rolling, Jesse. Uh, hey, we'll talk to you again some point soon down the road. All right, thanks, guys. One of our favorites, Jesse Smith, of uh, Mariners, director of analytics. Everything was fine on the camera, right there. I think so. It was more Evan that I had the right. The yeah, I'm sure he wasn't watching. Yeah, I mean, you can't see my eyes rolling. Somebody may have been, but I'm yeah. sure he wasn't. Well, hey, the Mariners are changing the game with our all-new Flex membership. Go to the games you want, sit in the seats you want, and get the savings you want all when you want. For more information on how to choose your membership and enjoy discounted seats all season long, visit mariners.com slash flex. More hot stove coming right up. Back to more of the hot stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. Hot Stove Show rolls along. Aaron Goldsmith and Gary Hill. And Jesse Smith is fantastic to talk with. Uh, next year, he'll come back in studio with us when there's not snow on the ground. Uh, but, you know, we are very fortunate, Gary, to uh, be able to have access to an organization like the Mariners that are so free-flowing with their information. I'm not sure how many other men in his capacity uh, just hop on the radio uh, regularly, I might yeah. add. 
and talk about kind of the stuff that goes on behind the curtains. It's really, really fortunate for us and for Mariners. I, I love getting the in-depth, uh, the behind-the-scenes, the the previous to what they're working on, what's coming up next. I mean, all that stuff. You know, there is so much in terms of data. And every time you think we get to the point, well, what could possibly be next? I mean, there's always a next. Sure. There's always the next thing and the next frontier, and that's what they're always working on, which I find pretty fascinating. That they went off of six changes for Brandon I, Brennan? The, there's a couple things I take away from the show already. I mean, Shedlong Jr. is at the top of the list, which is great. But the Brennan conversation, uh, starting with him, how he just started throwing the changeup, and then, yeah, the Mariners used six changeup as their data point, making him a Rule 5 pick. It, I just find the whole thing amazing. And then he spends all year with the Mariners, and, I mean, who knows how it all plays out, but from what we have seen when healthy, he's a really effective pitcher. Absolutely. Well, the Mariners selected a pitcher in this year's Rule 5, Johan Ramirez, a flamethrower from the Astros organization, and uh, here is Jerry talking all about uh, a guy who uh, maybe we'll see uh, all season long with the Mariners, Johan Ramirez. The Rule 5 draft is, I mean, if you date back to the mid-50s, you know, Roberto Clemente as a Rule 5 draft pick, you know, the, the great Johan Santana, who who was a multiple-time Cy Young Award winner, was a Rule 5 draft pick. Kelly Gruber, I could go on with guys who've really kind of been home runs, as a, or even in more recent memory, Brad Keller with the Royals, a really nice pickup in the Rule 5. So there, there is the Rule Five is productive. You know, our own Brandon Brennan came yeah. from the Rule Five last year and a rare keeper for the entire season. And uh, we went in to last year's draft looking for someone who had the ability to uh, st- help stabilize a really difficult bullpen to to navigate last year because we had so many out of options players or veterans on on guaranteed contracts to start the season. We went into this year's draft, pure and simple, looking for the highest upside we could find. Uh, and this was we, just go and try to hit a grand slam. Who is the best arm in, in the Rule 5 group? We didn't think that we could carry a position player by virtue of the way our 13-man position player group looks today. Uh, they're all young players we want to play or players that we've committed to on, on longer contracts, particularly Kyle. Uh, Johan Ramirez is... A big, big arm. I mean, it's a fastball that gets up to 101, uh, averages about 96 miles an hour. He really took a big step forward in the second half of the season in terms of finding consistency. And you won't see it in his strike-throwing numbers. It's uh, his, his, I guess, cross to bear is that he has not been a particularly good strike thrower. And we feel like we can help that to a degree. Whether we can help that as he transitions to the major leagues in – and we are able to to kind of help him across that bridge for 162 games remains to be seen. But it, I don't think there was any argument in our group that he was the most talented player in the Rule 5 draft in terms of raw physical stuff. It, we, From what we've been told, it is a super energetic cheer for everybody around him, teammate who just wants to be at the ballpark every day. And we thought we'd take our chance to hit a grand slam. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. And hearing that description, I mean, we heard Jesse allude to this, and it's really a, a nature versus nurture conversation when talking about 
you know, how much is it development with certain players? How much is it talent? And I always kind of feel like it's it's got to be a mixture of both, right? And sometimes it depends on a certain situation. I mean, time and place. I, there's so many different facets that go into a player being successful at the major league level, and you just you hope they intersect all at one point when you're talking about a Rule 5 pick. And I already alluded to Oliver Drake as being a perfect example of that. I mean, how does a guy – spend time with seven different teams during the course of a major league season with varying success. And then all of a sudden the following year, he ends up with an ERA just a touch over three in 50 games and becomes a really useful piece of uh, playoff bullpen. You know, it, it, how does that happen? I mean, how much was it the talent? How much was it? Well, Tampa Bay just figured something out that, Milwaukee, Toronto, Angels, Cleveland, <laughs> you know, go down the list, couldn't that a or quarter of didn't have time. Yeah, out. it's just so the, especially when you're talking about the rule five and the bottom of rosters, I, I'm just always fascinated by what what works, how all of a sudden it can work for a certain guy in a certain place and and how much it, it does point to to how good your development can be. Which, and how important it is. Yeah, I mean, let's face it, with, there's been a lot of coaching changes for the Mariners this year. And mm-hmm. under Jerry, there's been a huge emphasis put on on the development side of things. Uh, we've seen that with the farm system becoming what it has become now. I and mean, this is obviously, even if you're a high payroll team, this is critical to the infrastructure of your organization. Yeah. Uh, and even more so if you're not one of those five or six uh, high payroll teams. So you're right. It's it's a huge part of it. And uh, hopefully the success in that category in particular will continue for the Mariners in 2020 moving forward because all that ends up uh, showing up on the doorstep of T-Mobile Park. Uh, speaking of that, uh, single-game tickets are on sale now, which means that you can purchase seats to some of the biggest games of 2020, including opening day, series against the Yankees, the Phillies, and the World Series champion Nationals, plus more fireworks shows than ever before. You can stop by Mariners.com to find out more. I'm really excited about the Mariners' home schedule this year. Oh, one in particular. Well, you look at some of the players that are going to be at T-Mobile Park. I mean, you mentioned the Nationals. Soto's going to be in the building. Acuna. Uh, the chosen one. Acuna's going to be in the yeah, building. Yeah, Braves are going to be there. I mean, Tatis will be there. I mean, look at the list of some of the young players that are going to be at T-Mobile Park this year. It's pretty great. Most underrated hitter in the game will be there, in my opinion, Freddie Freeman. Oh, he's great. He is he is really good. Like he is on a Hall of Fame track, and nobody talks about Freddie. No Freeman. one talks about it. Yeah, that's right. You know, it's funny. I I was kind of I talked about Juan Soto a lot during the course of the regular season. I felt like he was not getting his due for the season he had last year, I, and I felt like he's changed that completely after the playoff run. Now everyone knows who he is. But I, you are spot on about Freddie Freeman. My theory. He's been doing it for a long time. My, my theory on Freddie is that when he was. Still performing very well a number of years ago. The Braves were terrible. Nobody was talking about the Braves, mm-hmm. so nobody talked about Freddie Freeman. Then the Braves get good because of Ozzie Albies and Ronald Acuna Jr., right, and this young core of players. And so everybody talks about them and not Freddie Freeman. For Nick Markakis on the op- opposite end of that spectrum. Uh, so if Freddie has kind of gone under the radar, but you're right, we'll be seeing him and a host of others. And it will be a good schedule. Did you, did you see the video of Freddie Freeman trick-or-treating with his kid? No, it was great because he was walking across the street and then somebody dressed up as Freddie Freeman. This little what? kid walked by. Yeah, it's great. And he's like, hey, you're me. And then he had a picture taken with him and everything. He's Canadian. He's a nice guy. He's Canadian, right? 
I'm pretty sure Freddie Freeman is Canadian. Uh, he was born in Fountain Valley, California. <sighs> <laughs> you know what they say about people from Fountain Valley. Man, those are nice folks. Why did I think he was Canadian? He was drafted from uh, high Quebec. school in Orange, California. Le Quebec County? <laughs> uh, I thought he went to the uh, Monroe de Calais Children's School. Oh, that's a great school. That's a, it's a really good one. Yeah. Known, known for its ability to learn. All right, well, that's uh, that's a major whiff. That's okay. We'll move on from that. we got more on the hot stove. We promise nothing but accurate facts when we come back. All things Mariners, all off-season. The Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. Glad you're with us tonight on the Hot Stove Show. Aaron Goldsmith and Gary Hill. G-Man, uh, I mean, I was I was mostly kind of right on, yeah. on Freddie. We went to break right. and we, we looked this up. Actually, uh, we got to thank Dawson Javier Wilder, our board op, for confirming the facts with us tell tell Gary, tell us it'd be, I'd be egotistical if i did it <laughs> but we wouldn't want you to do no that. we would not want that be at all like it'd be that. terrible people would, yeah, be, that would rub be. the wrong way so freddie freeman his parents were born in canada and he did play for team canada and he has dual citizenship yes so he is canadian yeah he's a citizen for crying out loud so congrats i mean i don't know what you want you want i just want i just want respect or, or just respect, respect. Oh, that's not going to happen. Just a drop of it. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, I will say. But congratulations, you you knew. I was very disappointed when I found out. Well, I temporarily was misinformed that he was not Canadian after I made a, such a bold statement on a high-profile show like this. So I'm glad that we are have the record set straight. Hey, we referenced uh, earlier tonight that, of course, there's been a, a number of coaching changes for the Mariners going into 2020. And, uh, you know, Gary, last year there was this guy named – Jarrett, who was uh, kind of hanging around the ball club, had a great beard. Yeah. Like a 70-grade beard. Young guy, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and he was always out there, early VPs with the guys, but kind of kind of stayed to himself, in, in a, not in a bad way. And we uh, kind of just walked up to him one day and said, hey, so who are you? <laughs> just like that. Yeah, because we see you often, uh-huh. and we see you on the road on occasion. And his name's Jarrett DeHart, and last year he was the hitting strategist for the Mariners. And he's been promoted to assistant hitting coach, uh, of course, working under Tim Laker. And he and Tim really hit it off last year. But, man, what a big win for Jarrett, who's been in the big leagues for like a day and obviously is incredibly well-respected, not only by the Mariners, but within the industry as well. His rise has been fast. Very fast. Yeah. And uh, last year, Jarrett was kind enough to uh, give us a little bit of time, and we thought this would be a good time to uh, kind of introduce you once again to the Mariners' new assistant hitting coach, Jarrett DeHart. Jarrett, your path to get to professional baseball and to get here to the majors with the Mariners is a pretty incredible one. It was only roughly three years ago where you were playing college baseball, and now you're in the show as a hitting instructor with the Mariners. So uh, tell us. How in the world did you make that timeline shrink to only a handful of years? <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, I've been pretty lucky, pretty fortunate. Um, it's been a really unique experience. Um, so I finished up my playing career and kind of always knew that I wanted to get into coaching. I uh, kind of started that journey at Tulane as a student assistant, um, finishing up my degree. And, you know, from there I did some work privately in the off seasons um, and got in touch with a close friend of mine who uh, – works for the Cleveland Indians who had a relationship with Andy McKay. He dropped my name to Andy McKay, uh, 
turns out they were in need of a hitting coach in the AZL last year, and things kind of started from there. It's been uh, it's definitely been a crazy last couple of years for sure. How does the interview process for a job like that work out? Because I would have to think that there are hundreds upon hundreds of hitting instructors that Andy could have spoken with or hired. Sure, yeah, I've, I've been pretty lucky. Um, so the process kind of went, if I remember correctly, Andy actually, it's a funny story. Andy reached out to me through Twitter, which was hilarious. He sent me a DM, and uh, it was this sketchiest DM, DM of all time. All it said was just like, it was his number, and it was like, call me about an opportunity. And I was like, is this real? Like, what, what is going on? So I reached out to him, and then from there I had to fill out a questionnaire, and I thought... You know, I guess they were fairly impressed by my work and kind of the track record or whatever. And, you know, from there, just started that process. And things got sped up pretty quickly because a couple other teams got involved. And then, uh, yeah, just I took the job in, I think it was December-ish, and finished up the season at Tulane and came out right after the end. In terms of the coaches' locker room and the coaches' meetings, I mean, you're, you're the youngest guy, like, yeah. outlier young, yeah, right? yeah. And even younger than a lot of the players for the Mariners that you're working with, all of whom have stepped on a major league field, and you have not done that. And in this information age, it can be so easy for a player with even the smallest level of credentials at this level to look at you and say, well, wh why, Jared, am I going to listen to you? So how do you approach that? Yeah, no, it's definitely an interesting uh, subject. I mean, I think today's player, with, and like you said, with the information age, they're, they're hungry for knowledge and they're hungry to get better. Right, and the bottom line is that if they feel that you can make them a better baseball player, they're going to listen to you, you know. And obviously, I at the beginning it was, you know, I was a little reserved because I wanted to make sure that, you know, I didn't come off as some know-it-all young guy, you know. But I think it's gone pretty well, and the guys have been really receptive, and it's gone better than I ever thought it was going to go. It's been great, uh, Jarrett. One of the really progressive and honestly just cool things that the Mariners are doing from a hitting standpoint this year is the rake report which is done from the minors all the way up here to Seattle can you tell us what it is and what the point of the rake report is as well yeah so the rake report is kind of a uh, it's a way of tracking performance throughout the minor leagues and kind of the, the reason it was created was that we want to track process and not necessarily just outcomes right so everybody knows that you know, if somebody scorches the ball at a, the center fielder, it's really good swing. They swung at a good pitch probably, right? But they don't get rewarded in terms of a hit or whatever. So what we're trying to do is re reward guys for the things that are the most controllable and the things that correlate to success over time. So that's quality of contact and swing decisions. So the rake report is basically just we weight those things based on we have one section that's based on contact quality. So you get one through five stars for, say, you know, a batted ball that's a certain hit probability, right? So if it's the probability it's a home run over, I think it's over 60% chance of being a home run, it's a five-star hit, and you work down to one star from there. And then, so that's contact quality, and then we have swing decisions where you get rewarded for swinging at pitches that are good pitches to hit, and you get ding points for chasing pitches that aren't good pitches to hit. So it's really simple. Um, I think the whole purpose is really just to create a, a process-based focus to where we're not too worried about chasing outcomes. We're not worried about chasing hits or batting average. All we're trying to do is hit the ball hard in the air by swinging at good pitches, and then over time that will correlate into some really good on-field performance. How do you grade and weight 
swinging at pitches on the edges and on the corners because the Mariners, I mean, really this has been since opening day, they've been one of the best teams in baseball to not chasing outside the strike zone. And we've seen uh, probably more strikeouts looking this year than in recent history. So how much does looking at the perimeter of that K zone uh, go into how the rake report is graded? Yeah, so it, the what's considered like the edge zone, um, outside of the heart of the zone, you, you don't get minus points for that. You don't get plus points for it. It's kind of a neutral area. But the thought is that if we're incentivizing swinging at pitches on the edges, then we're also going to start chasing because what a chase pitch, what a chase pitch really is, right? Nobody swings at a slider in the dirt because they think it's a slider in the dirt. You swing at a slider in the dirt because you think it's a fastball on the edge, and then it's not, right? So the goal is if we're not necessarily hunting pitches on the edges. We might see it out of the hand, think it's a fastball on the edge, shut it down early, and then it is a slider in the dirt, and it's an easy take, right? So that's kind of our goal, to kind of minimize that chase by hunting pitches in the heart of the zone instead of just anything in the zone. Jared, this has been a real pleasure. Thank you for the time. Thank you. Appreciate it, man. Uh, Jared DeHart, kind enough to join us. He is the Mariners' new assistant hitting coach, promoted from a hitting strategist and uh, somebody who's very highly respected throughout the industry. When we come back, we'll wrap up the show. we got a little bit of a best of from the first hour and the second. All that straight ahead. Back to more of the hot stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. Well, fans, discounted tickets are available for groups of 20 or more at T-Mobile Park. Flexible seating options, private hospitality, and picnic packages are also available to complete your group stay at the ballpark. For more information, visit mariners.com slash groups. Aaron Goldsmith and Gary Hill, the final few minutes here of the Hot Stove Show, and we uh, play back for you a little bit from hour number one. Gary and I in particular enjoyed uh, meeting, or talking rather, with Shed Long and uh, Gary Shed's approach to the 2020 season. Just trying to work smarter, paying attention to more detail. Every offseason I'm working hard and I'm grinding, so, you know, that doesn't change. I'm going to grind like, like I have nothing until I have it all. You know, but um, it definitely just it. I definitely feel like I have more knowledge this all season, so I was able to work a little better, like where I didn't have to do as much, but pay attention to more details and just get it done. Grind like you got nothing until you got it all. That's a team slogan, right there. Yeah, it is. That's a great quote. I love the the mindset too. We uh, had a good time talking with Evan Grant of the Dallas Morning News, who covers the Texas Rangers, who voted for Omar Vizcal for the Hall of Fame, and he tells us why. I try and look at guys individually, and I look at their their contributions. Um, I, I do look at some analytics, but I'm not sure that analytics are the only determining factor. For me, it, 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 it's this. I, I look at Vizcal, and by every – by every measurement at the time that he was playing the game, he was considered, if not the, the best shortstop in the game, uh, he became the best fielding shortstop when, uh, when Ozzie retired. He was, in my mind, a stellar defender, and I think there is a place in the Hall of Fame for guys who, who make their careers as defenders. Uh, and I think that's a... I think it's a difficult case to really quantify because we've, we've had a hard time coming up with defensive metrics that, that everybody agrees are accurate. But I do know this, that during the entirety of his career, he was considered an elite, elite defender. The number of gold gloves speak for themselves. 
I also don't look at longevity as a negative in the Hall of Fame balloting. If you stay in the big leagues for 25 years, uh, you've done some things right. And uh, if you compile some numbers over the course of those years that, that stand up, like the, like the hit total, I don't look at that as, as a negative. I, I, I think that, that that all works in, in your favor. That, of course, was Evan Grant. Jesse Smith joined us as well, and he talked about the Mariners being all in on the Major League Draft. The Seattle Mariners are, are all in on the draft. We've, we've put a ton of resources into doing everything we can to make our lotto tickets the best lotto tickets in the draft and to learn how to value them and just understand exactly what we're doing. And when we were looking at it, uh, you know, last year and the last few years, we were looking at, you know, what we, what we reasonably would have expected to get uh, if we'd had this pick number. And, you know, you can't, you can't go back in time and precisely say, oh, we would have taken this player or that player. But we can look at sort of the pool of players out there and, you know, the it, number 67 in the draft is probably not the most interesting sounding asset to the average Mariners fan, but it, it, it turns into a star player or at least an above average major league player at, you know, a 10 to 20% clip, depending on how you measure it. Uh, and that's, uh, you know, if you get enough, you get enough of those 10 to 20% shots, uh, then you've got yourself, you know, a controllable superstar for cheap. So, and that's, you know, that makes all the difference in the world. So that's something we're really valuing there. Uh, Jesse Smith, the Mariners Director of Analytics, kind enough to join us in the last hour of the show. Well, fans, discounted tickets are available for groups of 20 or more, and you can sign up your little sluggers for the 2020 Mariners Kids Club MVP memberships, only 25 bucks. They include a Mariners backpack and cap, mini moose bobblehead, $1 ticket vouchers, and exclusive MVP experiences. Plus, new this year, MVP members receive 10% off select kids apparel and Mariners team stores. You can register today at mariners.com slash kids. And a reminder, you can hear the entire hot stove show all two hours starting tomorrow on the Mariners official baseball podcast. You can find it wherever you find your podcast. G-Man, good show. This is great. I mean, we were mediocre, but the guests were great. They carried it, which we yeah. expected. Well, our thanks to all who joined us. For Jesse Smith, whom you just heard, Shed Long, Brandon Brennan, Evan Grant. Of course, for Declan Javier Wilder, Gary Hill. I'm Aaron Goldsmith. Glad you could join us. We'll talk to you next week on the hot stove.